welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. That was an interesting clap that just happened. <laughs> um, so in August of 2016, this Christian juggernaut of a man... Uh, posted something online to his thousands upon thousands of social media followers. And this is what it read. This is an announcement that I never expected to make. But God in his infinite and sovereign wisdom has chosen me for this refining, and I pray he will be glorified through my body and my spirit. My family and I have received the news that I have advanced stomach cancer, and the clinical prognosis is quite grim. Nonetheless, we are going to pursue healing aggressively both medical and miraculous, relying on God and the fact that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. These are the words of a devout Muslim man who converted to Christianity in 2005 because he became convinced that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And from that moment on, his life and his superior intellect was used to serve Jesus. He was a man of immense faith. He seemingly pursued God with every fiber of his being, and God used him in big ways to reach a variety of audiences. After preaching and teaching all over the world, Nabil Qureshi had cultivated a network of people who supported him and followed his leadership. And when his diagnosis was first released, you better believe that there were just legions of people who were praying for this man to be healed. In fact, at the Organic Outreach um, Conference two years ago at Shoreline uh, Community Church, our staff got a chance to go hear him uh, teach live. And after he taught, we all laid hands on him and prayed for his healing. Kreshi died of stomach cancer on September 16, 2017 at the age of 34. What happened? In the text that you just heard read to you, it says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Did Nabil and the many others who were praying with him simply not have enough faith? Did they doubt too much in their hearts? Is that why he wasn't healed? This morning we're gonna explore the answer to these important questions And I realize that this particular situation begs a lot more questions, like why would God allow something so bad to happen to someone so good? But but we're not going there today. Instead, we will focus on a different text in order to see how Jesus responds when a man approaches him and expresses doubt to his face. Turn to page 844 in a pew Bible or open up your personal Bible or an app to Mark 9, 14. Lord, would you speak to us like only you can speak to us this morning? Would you tune our ears to your voice so that we could hear you clearly? May our hearts be ready to receive what you have for us. Father, may the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. 
be glorified and magnified in this place, Jesus. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning in Mark 9, 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never return again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So we've been in the same series for the past two months, we're going to continue it through Easter. The name of it is... It's all about Jesus. Our passage opens up with this scene. There's a crowd gathered around the disciples and an argument taking place. But upon seeing Jesus arrive, all of the attention shifts to him. The text tells us that the people were simply amazed at the sight of Jesus. It wasn't anything that Jesus had just done. His presence was enough for them to be in awe. The same is true today. Before we proceed, it is important for us to stop and proclaim that the presence of Christ is enough. It truly is all about Jesus. May we run to him in amazement, just like that crowd did each and every day. In the midst of this chaotic scene, Mark depicts Jesus as this calming and unifying force. Having just come down from the mountain after the transfiguration, Jesus wants to know, what's going on? What's all the commotion about? And it turns out that there's this desperate man whose son is demon-possessed. He brings his child to Jesus' closest followers, but the disciples were unable to do anything for him. And in the past, I've read this passage and I've thought, oh, those silly disciples. They messed up again. But now I'm beginning to notice something different people are beginning to actually bring their sick, their lame, the people who are in need to the disciples when Jesus isn't there. So that in fact shows us that people are beginning to trust the work of the disciples and the disciples are fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given to them. And so when Jesus is not there, people look to the disciples 
as his ambassadors of his power and authority. But on this occasion, for some reason, they're unable to help. And as a result, I imagine that the man must be frustrated. He must be concerned for the well-being of his son. He may have heard a lot about Jesus up to this point, and he was really, really hoping that they would be able to do something for him. And we shouldn't be surprised that um, this man was looking to Christ's followers. Because even to this day, a person's understanding of Jesus is often shaped by what he sees Jesus' followers do or not do. And now that the Father has found that the power of the disciples is lacking, he is discouraged and disheartened. Perhaps his hopes are dashed and he is just resigned to the fact that his son is going to have this plight. Or he might just be worried sick, wondering how much longer his son could possibly survive. And a word of clarification about this situation. Some might look at this story as a person with epilepsy. And I used to think likewise, because frankly, it sounds like this person has epilepsy, right? But considering themes throughout Mark, if you look at the entirety of the gospel, it seems as though Mark does not leave any room for that. This is a demon. The spirit that is wreaking havoc on Jesus' life recognizes Jesus right away and immediately sends the boy into a convulsion. And it's this terrifying scene, and Jesus has that calming presence, and he just turns to the dad and says, how long has this been happening? The father answers that this has been going on for some time now, and it is so bad that the demon actually tries to burn and drown his child. The father says that the demon is, is trying to destroy him. And that church is exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy life. But we have this father who is committed to not letting that happen. He is vigilant. He's relentless. He fights back. And so he seeks out Christ as a possible source of help. And that's truly what he's doing here. He's actually just testing the water. He's not convinced that Jesus can help. He says to Jesus, if you can. So Jesus lets him know how simple it is. All things are possible for me. All you have to do is believe. Just have faith. And then we get one of the most transparent and raw responses in all of Scripture, in my opinion. The man cries out to Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. As if to say to Jesus, I'm trying my best here. I so desperately want to believe that you can do this for us. But honestly, Jesus, my faith took a hit when your disciples couldn't follow through. My faith took a hit when you were nowhere to be found. And not only do I need something for my son from you, but I actually need something for myself. I need you to give me that faith. I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. And so Jesus gives him reason to believe the surpassing greatness of Jesus is exemplified by this very just at ease way that Jesus handles the situation. He has complete authority in verse 25 as he tells the demon, I command you, and it is done. 
And so this dramatic situation ends with the disciples asking Jesus, what's the deal? Why couldn't we do anything about it? And Jesus says, this one required prayer. So earlier in the account, faith is emphasized. And then at the end, it transitions, it transitions into prayer is what's important. So are these two things intertwined? I have to believe that they are, because when we pray and it doesn't come to fruition, we often think, am I doubting? Do I have enough faith? Is that what's going on here? Our passage gives us the answer to the question, do we have to have a certain amount of faith in order for God to respond to our, our needs? But I also want to point out a couple more take-home points as we go through this. So first, regardless of where we are in our faith, Jesus wants us to come to him. That's what the Father does. He had his doubts, but he still sought out Jesus. This is essential for any serious Christian or seeker. I have seen countless people over the years who have left the faith entirely because they had doubts, and then they didn't bring their questions to Christ or to the church. Now, asking those big, difficult questions is extremely important, but it is not sufficient to go do a Google search and to read secular authors. It is only right, it is only fair that you give the Bible and the church a chance to <clears throat> respond as well. I remember a year ago, there was a young woman who was having some, some issues with the Bible. I would even say that the Bible was making her angry. I would use a different word if I wasn't preaching up here. She had been raised in a home that taught her a different value system, and Scripture was challenging that. But she kept coming, and she kept bringing her questions, until one day the Holy Spirit did something amazing in her life. He transformed her heart and changed her entire stance. And she told me that she no longer wanted to manipulate the Bible so that it would fit her preconceived notions of morality. Instead, she wanted the Bible to change her heart. Now, there are still some things that she struggles with that she has really big questions about, but she's bringing them to Scripture, and she's asking God about those things. And Carmel Press, do you know what that means for us as a church? Are we welcoming those doubts, those people that are doubting? Are we welcoming those people? Are we creating a safe place where people can come and express their questions and keep expressing their questions? I think we do a pretty good job, but we could do better. Remember that doubting when done well, is a catalyst for spiritual transformation and renewal. You heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis? He had a bunch of faith issues, serious faith issues, and he became one of the most influential Christian leaders of the 20th century. So if you are here this morning and you are lacking faith, if you are doubting, then I want you to know that you are welcome here. I honestly want you to know Wherever you are on the spectrum, you are welcome in this place. There is no question that is too big or too small for us. And I also want you to know a little, little secret. If you are doubting, you are in good company. 
Nobody here has it completely together, except for my wife. <laughs> Seriously, we all have these things that cause us to wonder. And that leads me to the next point. I, I want us to be asking for two things. I want us to be asking for what we want and asking for more faith. Ask God to create in you a heart that believes more firmly so that we can pray alongside that man that says, I do believe, but help me in the areas that I am doubting. I think I love the man's response because it is so raw and so authentic and so transparent and so real, but do we have that kind of relationship with God? Is that how we pray to him? Are we that open and honest with him? Faith is actually a spiritual gift from God. Are you actively asking God for that gift? And there's something really amazing that happens when we approach God with this type of humility and honesty. The more we trust Jesus with our doubts, the more he proves himself to be trustworthy. We see that he is not insecure. We see that nothing shocks him. It doesn't surprise him. It doesn't cause him to turn his back on us. We serve a God who can handle any doubt that we throw his way. If we don't serve a God like that, I don't want to serve that God. He can handle anything we throw at him. Amen. The third and final point this morning is this. Remember. Remember that the faith of Christ is not dependent on your faith in him. Look at the passage this morning. The man expressed unbelief in Jesus's, to Jesus' face. That's a pretty big deal. And what does Jesus do? He still restores his son. I cannot tell you how much that should, a burden should be lifted off our shoulders. It's not dependent on us. You don't have to be afraid of a prayer not working because you just don't believe enough. You know those fundraiser thermometers that they use like for um, companies and schools and sometimes churches use them to track your progress? Um, just so you know, our faith is not like this, okay? But we, we treat it like it is. We're like, oh man, I'm like 70% there with this and my prayer's not being answered, so if I could just get up a little bit more, then my prayer will come true the way that I want it to come true. Look at the story of Nabil Qureshi. The, the people that were praying for him were convinced the man would be healed, convinced of it. Their faith was at the 100%. They had reached the goal. Nabil himself had immense faith in Christ. Plus, he just had entire churches praying for him all across the world. Do you mean to tell me that he wasn't healed because they didn't have enough faith? No way. That is a works righteous mentality, and it's, it's actually going to diminish your trust in the Lord because when you're doing that, you're actually placing your trust in yourself. You're making your relationship with Jesus a transactionary one. You provide the faith, he provides the blessing. No. Remember that Christ is faithful even when we doubt. It is not our believing in Christ that makes him powerful, good, and loving. Jesus is powerful, good, and loving because Jesus is powerful, good, and loving. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Remember that. <laughs> Whether you believe something to be true doesn't affect whether that thing is true or not. Jesus is faithful. 
Jesus chose to heal that man's son even when he expressed a lack of faith. I can't help but think about how that man's life must have changed from that moment on. Do you think that his faith diminished or grew? It grew, right? I would hope that he, that was a faith-building moment for him. And I would imagine that we have faith-building moments in our own lives. Those <laughs> moments in which we saw Jesus do incredible things. Some people say that we should create um, mental Ebenezer's that help spur us on in our faith. And so in Sam, 1 Samuel 7, the Israelites were terrified of the Philistine army that was closing in on them. And so Samuel took a lamb and he offered it as a burnt offering and they cried out to God and God heard them and he responded. And he helped the Israelites rout the Philistine army. And in that place, Samuel set up an Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And from that point on, Every time the Israelites would pass that place, they would be reminded about how God had shown up on their behalf and been faithful to them, and that would then lead to future faith in them. It would bolster their faith. This is an example of an Ebenezer. Let me read it to you. I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. No matter what, I will always have him, even when I feel distant he will always be there waiting for me. And in those times of hardness, I should go toward him. This young lady accepted Jesus Christ uh, last Saturday night. And this will be a constant reminder for her that not only is God faithful to her, but at that moment in her life, she was completely committed to Jesus Christ. What about you? What are some stories in your own life of how God has proven himself to be trustworthy? What about seasons of your life? You look back and you were like, I was just, I was more trusting back then. What about, what was different about those seasons? And if you haven't written this down, I would encourage you to write those things down. And when you're, you feel your faith failing, return to those things and remember how God showed up in the past. There's something very interesting about a faithful life. As we grow in our faith and belief that Christ is good, we're, we're not promised that everything will go our way. That's Nabil Qureshi's story. But that man trusted God regardless of the outcome. Faith brings us to a place in our hearts where we can actually pray what our Savior prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Jesus, we beg you now that you would supply us with ample faith in you. Remind us even here, even now, of how you have shown yourself to be good, to be loving, to be gracious, to be patient in our past. Fill us with hope for the future. I pray that you would be with those who are doubting, those who are seeking, and that you would supply them with answers that only you can bring by your spirit. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. So this morning, we have 
this privilege to partake in the greatest Ebenezer of all. This is a constant reminder of Jesus' faithfulness to us, that he helps us. And so we approach this table, and Jesus does not expect us to have it all together, but he expects us to be honest. He expects us to come. And so come in confidence. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would work in powerful ways, that you would transform these simple elements of bread and juice into spiritual nourishment for us, that you would work in a mysterious and powerful way, that um, as we receive communion with you, that um, you would reinvigorate and you would solidify our faith. It's in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We give thanks that on the night before Jesus died, he took bread, and after breaking it, giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you are ready, communion servers, please come forward. And we'll set up stations. I would encourage you, you don't have to bum rush the communion stations. God might want to do some business with you before you approach, approach this time. So take your time, be worshipful, and remember that God is faithful. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.